Good evening and welcome to the Recollective Podcast. My name's Charlie Beale and tonight I'm joined by my old chum, Tom Goodfellow. Hello everybody, very happy to be back with you all today. Just a two-hander tonight after escapades with our good friends Mick and Jim. Indeed. What escapades? We hope you've enjoyed them. Something a little more laid back tonight, a little more involved as we delve into the world of... Country music. Country music. Not, um, as the Americans would say, in either of our wheelhouses, really. What's a wheelhouse? It means just like your area of expertise. I think it yeah. means... I think it's a baseball expression. This is definitely not in my wheelhouse. Um, and I, I'm worried about the levels of ignorance that I might uh, display. But I'm also excited about it because it's, you know, one of the reasons we like doing this is this: you discover things along the way and discover new music. Exactly. And, um, yeah, so apologies for, for listeners who get the introduction to a song. Um, certainly from my side, there are about two or three where I'm just going to go, this is a song I like. Don't know much about it or the artist. Um, and if you go, oh, yeah, when, what record was that on? Or what did they do? I might very well say I have no clue. Well, before we begin, Charlie, can you tell me, because you seem to have uh, become a, a bit of uh, quite knowledgeable about, about country, let's say, uh, in recent times. And um, how did that happen? So how did you get into country and how did you discover all these songs about which you know so little? Well, uh, I'm knowledgeable in the sense of like someone who's read a bit of a an enormous book um and i i haven't read the rest of it it's such a vast topic but the reason i got into it was obviously as listeners will know we were in a band together and as listeners will also know sometimes we put together quite frenetic pieces of music with loud drums and vocals and guitars competing with each other and um, that was quite chaotic and energetic as a style of music sometimes. Um, and later on in life, I I was doing a job where I had to drive. I, I was living outside of London, and on a Thursday night, I would drive back to my home in the Midlands. And at the time when I was driving from London to the Midlands was uh, the same time as Bob Harris Country. Uh, yeah. Um, and what, so I started discovering these new songs from bands I hadn't heard of. And I think the thing that really appealed to me is the simplicity of, of, of the playing in some of the country music. I mean, it, as we'll discover, it's a vast, vast topic and we can't cover it in one episode and there's different variants and backgrounds. But the thing that really appeals to me is it seems like there's a, there's a, a body of people who play country music who are kind of session musicians and lifelong musos that contribute to one another's projects and bands. They're composers as well as performers. And um, amongst them, there are some who just know how to play very simple parts that add to the atmospherics of a song and they don't try and compete in an egotistical way to be heard. Um, but the songs, I just thought some of the songs that I, I fell in love with was just so beautifully simple and, and well recorded. Yeah, it's nice. And it's only like, it's really only very recently in my case that I'm starting to um, really appreciate country, I think. I just thought it wasn't for me. Like, it's very odd because it's so associated with the United States of America and it's so associated with, uh, you know, particular parts of the country, I guess, and um, particular times and places. It, 
I just never felt like it was, I don't know, uh, that I would listen to it. It wasn't that I didn't like it. It's, you know, it's a funny thing. And then partly, you know, it's getting older, it's hearing more things. And things have come back in all kinds of ways. So country music, when you realize it's everywhere, right? Country music has, has influenced, you know, so much of rock music, so much of pop music. And then, of course, you have people like Dolly Parton becoming kind of huge again somehow with a whole new audience. So now, I, yeah, for various reasons, I've come to also just appreciate it and that simplicity and the fact that it's really about the song, isn't it? It's about the the songwriter and the song. And even when there's a band involved, just more than any other genre in a way, it's like the expression of, of one person, either the singer or the writer, just kind of letting their heart out. And there's something... Yeah, wonderful about that. And and you get the same kind of rules and tropes as you do in other genres of music. And you, as you listen to more and more of it, you realise that some people are better exponents of those tropes and rules than others. So the the the, the I'm being cheated on, or I you know I'm drinking too much, or I'm down on my luck, or any of these things that appear so regularly in country music can can be done beautifully and touchingly or they can be you know mass produced pop fodder that um that fuels this whole nashville music economy and it's about kind of picking picking out some of that pop dross and realizing there's a heritage here and there's 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 great exponents of this absolutely so um why don't you kick it off okay yeah so i realize because i am generally quite ignorant about country music and i've been listening to a bit but um as you say, it's vast. And I, I realise that most of the songs I've picked tonight are probably not typical country. Maybe they're not even country. Uh, I kind of found them through country uh, and, and looking for country and trying to explore it a bit. But I think they're not, not, not typical, many of them, and they're kind of crossover, certainly this first song. So this song, I think, might be described as country blues or blues country. And I think, in a way, that's partly why I chose it, because um, I like those you know, those kind of crossovers. This is this is so, so influential for bands like the Rolling Stones that, you know, I have, you know, grown up listening to loads, but without ever really listening to those country and blues influences. So, um, yeah, I chose this song, which is from 1964 or something, uh, from a group called the um, Mississippi Shakes. So I didn't even know that the Alabama Shakes, which is a recent band, uh, had basically, you know, ripped off the name of this this. This band, although interestingly, obviously, they changed the spelling. So these guys are spelt shakes as in like oil shake. Anyway, let's hear the song and then we can maybe talk about what it is and how it relates to, to country more generally. Don't worry, 
And sitting on top of the world Then you come here running Holding up your hand Can't get me a woman Quick as you get a man But now she's gone I don't worry I'm sitting on top of the world It have been days I didn't know your name Why should I worry And prayer in vain But now she's gone I don't worry I'm sitting on top of the world Anyway, we, we have uh, a fair few songs today so we don't have to listen to it all but um, I think when I was listening to a kind of old school country compilation it sort of jumped out at me because it's not typical of country but then it has all these you know the simplicity the the um the fiddle i guess mm. uh the simple bluesiness but at the same time it is clearly not straight blues right it's also it's it's kind of a country song i don't, I don't know how you categorize it but it's also i think it jumped out because there's a song on the uh, exile on main street called you gotta move by the stones which is a a total lifting really of, of the of the melody i guess it's an homage or something um and i think it's been very influential in that way yeah it's um it's very atmospheric are you sure it's from 1964 it doesn't sound like it does it i, I think it was it's from 1930 either. <laughs> that makes much more sense. I'm very pleased about that because I wanted to start with a really old number, but then I Googled it very quickly just now and I thought it said 1964. Yeah, you're right. It's from 1930. Brilliant. Some of the... <laughs> uh, I think, yeah, it, it feeds into that kind of um, Deep South Mississippi Delta um, blues, almost spiritual type um genesis um of of the country music because country music is informed by so many different um yeah different uh, backgrounds you know including irish folk singing and you know um the kind of more wild west type uh, acoustic guitar playing um but i'm uh, it's i'm glad you played one with the fiddle and um it it, it kind of leads quite nicely into what i'm going to play um but yeah, did you have anything more to say about the Mississippi shakes and sitting on top of the world? No, I mean, I've got lots of things really quite wrong so far. So I, I, <laughs> I don't really want to say too much, but like only 34 years wrong. No, I think, um, yeah. I don't I, think people come to this podcast for accuracy. And we're no, always going to call ourselves out if we get it wrong. The, I, mean, um, say, I think also that they were also interesting, but I'm also just concerned in case I'm completely wrong about this. I don't think I am. That they were, were black, um, or certainly some of them were. And, you know, countries associated with being very white genre, I guess, mainly. So I think, you know, seeing that that, that genealogy where country and blues are there together and they evolve together, and it's not, you know, perhaps... Um, the kind of white music form that's kind of separate from the black music of America 
I think that's also quite interesting, right? When you go back to the 30s and find that. Yeah, it's, um, again, out of my depth here, but I think, you know, the the blues, zydeco, bluegrass, um, these other, other music forms that fed into country music were much more multiracial and much more yeah. formed by the, the South. Um, but you're right, modern country, you look at the, the main artists that form the kind of the, the, the people who are popular in modern country, um, there are not many black faces. And I, I wonder if that's because, you know, um, black musicians have, have veered more towards hip hop, soul, jazz, funk, um, and, and other art, art forms. Yeah, although maybe in a in a, perhaps in a kind of optimistic vein, it's kind of it's sort of coming full circle because yeah, even even classic country. I mean, people tend to think of don't they Dolly Parton, Johnny Cash, Glenn, Glenn Campbell, yeah. um, you know, all, all those kind of people, Hank Williams. But um, but actually, I don't know. Did you did you listen to the uh, Dolly Parton's America podcast? I didn't know. Okay, well, that's highly recommended. Uh, but uh, what's interesting is that, you know, Dolly Parton's become very popular with a younger audience in the last few years. And they make this point that, you know, if you go to Dollywood, uh, which is her theme park, uh, 10, 20, 20, 30 years ago, it was full of Tennessee kind of white folk, very, very much a particular type, whereas now it's like multiracial, diverse, multi-generational. So those kinds of artists, well, I mean, Dolly Parton is unique. But yeah, maybe there's a sense in which the cross-fertilization has been happening a bit more over the past 10, 20 years again? Well, someone who's chiefly responsible for that um, is a man called T-Bone Burnett, who's going to uh-huh. be um, the, the next artist I'm playing. Um, and T-Bone Bur- Burnett is a musician in his own right, um, but he's perhaps most well-known as a producer and as a, as a, I think, almost an archivist of American music. So... Um, he did the soundtrack for Oh Brother, Where Art Thou, which yes. very much um, brought back into the public consciousness um, that kind of old school uh, country and blues singing um, bluegrass itself. Um, and he was also responsible for the soundtrack of The Big Lebowski, um, Cold Mountain, Walk the Line. He did um, the soundtrack to a TV series called True Detective, which had a really atmospheric kind of um, sound quality that borrowed on the kind of like the Delta and that kind of like slightly dark, um, almost dripping with heat, um, deep South feel that isn't what I would associate with, you know, the likes of Merle Haggard and uh, Dolly Parton. Yeah. And others that that I guess you 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 put as like the classic country, and I, so I think he's been con- quite responsible for bringing some of that other consciousness around the roots of country back into the mainstream. Um, I'm going to play a song of his called "Shut It Tight." So he's a good musician in his own right, but I don't think he's brilliant. But what I like about this is it it, it has the borrowings of the era of song that you just played, um, the bluegrass all the acoustic stringed instruments, the fiddle, the banjo, the mandolin, the guitar. Um, and, uh, yeah, we can talk about what blue bluegrass is afterwards, but um, have a listen to this. Sometimes to say 
say the way that I feel I do the very things I hate to do I act like a child and I'm afraid of what is real So I try to cover up the truth I stumble like a drunk along this crazy path I walk I have a hundred thousand questions too I cannot tell wrong from right But I ain't gonna quit until I'm late in my tomb And even then they better shut in tight So it just follows this pattern and mm -hmm. I think it's quite nice um, Lovely and it, it's, um, he, you know, He's obviously a student of American music because not only did he do that Oh Brother, Where Art Thou soundtrack, but um, he also produced the very popular album Raising Sand, uh, where he put uh. um, was it Robert Plant and Alison Krauss together, and Alison Krauss is a well-known bluegrass um, artist, and he basically hand-picked all the songs that went onto that album from his knowledge of, you know, uh, popular style music. Um, and um, yeah, so the interesting thing about bluegrass is it's it's traditionally played on these acoustic stringed instruments. So anything from, as I said, the stand-up bass through the the guitar, the mandolin, the fiddle, um, and it's it's differentiated from the blues because it kind of emphasises the offbeat, a bit like reggae, um, and the notes are anticipated in, in contrast to blues, where where you're almost kind of behind the beat. Um, mm it creates this kind of high energy um which which is really um you know in evidence in that song yeah it's really nice and that's very interesting because i never really knew what bluegrass was i mean like uh, seriously my my ignorance in relation to this episode is it's rapidly being revealed but um it's nice and it reminds me of there's elements obviously of dylan so he was in dylan's band right at some point i think yeah he was but i mean i think um, when we played um a song of desire or maybe a couple of songs of desire in the past one more cup of coffee and yeah. yeah was that the era that he was playing with dylan i i don't think he was in he was in like this mid 70s um yeah it was a bit too but that desire was mid 70s wasn't it perhaps i'm not sure if he played on that album but um, also, I mean, it's again, 
at the risk of sounding a bit crude, you know, it, it's also there's elements of just like um, the word I'm looking for, not not folk, but the, whatever. Like we we once played, a, we once played, yeah, but it's a particular kind of folk, isn't it? Because it reminds me a bit of what the Levelers were trying to do in certain songs. So we we once played a band called the Levelers, but that's definitely um, you know, Levelers echoes of that kind of stuff. Uh, in what they tried to, to do, but combined with the kind of scuzzy Brighton indie. Yeah, so, I mean, if you go to the, the country music page on Wikipedia, they'll divide, they'll, they'll divide it up into all these different styles. And the first generation is, like, they have one section on singing cowboys, one on kind of hillbilly boogie, one is bluegrass folk and gospel, and the other is honky-tonk. And they're all kind of coming in to, to, to form what would become country. So I think, you know... The Irish uh, mm. and Celtic music of, of the British Isles feeds into country music. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I guess so. I mean, when does country become country? Is there a sense in which it... Uh, because I guess, you know, there are all these old stuff from the 30s and 40s which feeds into it, but it's perhaps not yet... Is it something that really comes into its own in the 60s or something? Or The origins are in the 20s. Um, when... It gained mass popularity, as I say, by the, about the 40s. So is that early? Yeah. Because what was interesting in, I mean, obviously I'm aware of all these earlier influences and, um, you know, a lot of these classics are from the, the 30s uh, and, you know, including songs like the uh, Mississippi Shakes one. But then by the time it gets to the 60s, I think it's gone like really countrywide, hasn't it? Maybe that's happening a bit earlier, but what comes through in the... Um, the Dolly Parton podcast is the extent to which it becomes also an urban phenomenon. So there's all the migration happening and people are moving and that, that, that is coming into the cities and just becoming totally mainstream by the kind of mid sixties. Yes. That's the third generation, which is typified by rockabilly, the Nashville and countrypolitan sounds and the country soul crossover and the Bakersfield sound. None of You're which I very knowledgeable. <laughs> well, it's like reading chapters from a book uh, that you haven't read. I'm just looking at the index. Of, uh... So I'm partly, partly gunning here talking about the 60s because uh, is my song next? It is. Yeah, yeah, so I was just trying to like rapidly get to the 60s. <laughs> um, <laughs> but no. Um... Well, my about Bone Bennett one is from recently. Oh yeah, that's more recent, I guess. But actually, I'm glad you played that because what I nearly had, and it was on my was was um, on my shortlist or long list or something, was um, I'm a man of constant sorrow from the from the soundtrack of Oh Brother Where Art Thou? Because we okay. listened to that a lot as well. I remember that soundtrack was like a big deal. That's perhaps one time when I guess bluegrass has really featured in my life and I've been aware of it was because of that film. Because it was Did a fairly big hit. Any, any songs of your own? I think maybe about around that time there were a few little ditties composed. <laughs> it is a direct consequence of that. So, so are we allowed Steve to give o. the titles? I mean, we'll never play them publicly. No, not even the titles. Okay, fine. <laughs> they're the worst. They're the worst bits, Charlie. <laughs> uh, okay, so my next song is completely different, and again. Uh, in my dark pit of ignorance, I was just sort of listening to some compilations of classic country. Uh, and this song came on, and I was like, oh, it's that song. And I was like, oh, I have to play that song. Because this is one of these songs which um, is just somehow in the ether. Like, I, I don't know when I heard it or first heard it. I had no idea it was who it was by or that it was kind of a country song or by a country artist. 
uh, I just sort of knew it. Um, and listening to it, I was like, this is an incredible song. Like, this has been so influential. The arc of that song is a pop song. Uh, and the, the, the holding of that note at the end of the chorus is, I think, just, it's like, it's been essential to so much pop music and country. So let's hear it and then we can maybe talk about it a bit more. for the county and I drive the main road searching in the sun for another overload I hear you singing in the wire I can hear you through the Snows that stretch down south won't ever stand the strain. And I need you more than won't you. And I want you for all time. And the Wichita lineman is still on the line. I don't. Is it? It's, it's the whole thing is just like I feel like it's in so many songs. Like uh, I don't even when when I hear that song, I don't think it just reminds me of previous times I've heard that song. I feel like it reminds me of multiple other pieces of music. Do you know what I mean? Because yeah. it's been so influential. I think. But I'm. Uh, that, that, it's not. Is it? Is it like a sort of soul funk song or something from the seventies? Maybe. I don't know. Something like across 110th Street or something like that, you know? Yes, I know that, what I mean. Do you know Sorry. what I mean? Um, okay, listeners, I need you to email us or drop us a note on Instagram um, if you're listening and you know 
what the Wichita lineman was sampled or, or anyone who's drawn inspiration from it. But it also sounds like, ah, oh, something more 80s. Anyway, <laughs> we, could, we could be here all day. But I think that's, what a song, really. I mean, you know, so I think there's a number of things about that song. It's, it's, it's the, the kind of yearning melody and the swelling strings. You know, I think so many people have tried to replicate that. But then also the lyric, you know. So the guy who wrote it, who's not the singer, it's this guy called Jimmy Webb and then Glenn Campbell, who was the first person to to really sing it, I think. And then it's been covered absolutely endless times. So obviously that was the Glenn Cam Campbell version. Um, but the writer, he saw, you know, a, the guy who works on the telephone lines in the way that they did back then, basically at the top of a telephone pole, like in the silhouetted as he was driving along. And he saw this guy and he's like, here's an ordinary guy working on a telephone pole. I wonder what he's saying. Because... Um, uh, he's now imagining this guy on the phone and he's imagining what the guy's saying into the phone. And he's like, you know, ordinary people have these big, deep emotions. And that's like, it's it's kind of a ridiculous <laughs> image. Uh, but then it just goes to show the power of like just an image, right? A song's built around a sort of, um, uh, just a simple image of something happening that can be extremely prosaic, but somehow capture people, I guess. I was um, going to ask, lineman was from what i could tell it's it's someone who works on the telephone lines you know connecting them to telephone poles and what have you but then apparently the guy who wrote it uh you know he then said you know that was image in his mind but he said it could be someone working on a railroad railroad or digging holes in the street or something it's the idea of like an ordinary guy who has mm. this great aching and loneliness um so the lineman is yeah could be anyone but that that became a you know huge pop song. So it's been covered by like everyone from Tom Jones to these animal men, <laughs> Cool and the Gang. I mean Johnny Cash, loads of people. Urge Overkill, quite quite a bizarre selection of people actually. Anyway, the the yeah. yearning Guns and Roses, the the yearning uh, and James the, Taylor who we've had on previous episodes. Oh yeah, Ariel, who we haven't. Yeah surprisingly mm. um but i think that's another side of country isn't it it's like we've talked a little bit about guitar styles and the influence of different things coming together different cultures coming together but the raw emotional heart of country that also is essential right yeah so let's move on my next choice is not too far down the line um in terms of time it's 1970 um it's band who would actually do a cover of the, the song you first chose, Titting on Top of the World. Oh. They are known as um, a rock band, first and foremost. But they, they um, did you have something, a question? I was just going to say, please tell me they did it in 1964 so that I can justify my random <laughs> assignation of that year. Anyway, go on. Um, the, so they had influences of, uh, across folk, country, jazz, bluegrass, blues, gospel, um, and they are the Grateful Dead. So the Grateful Dead have got an obsessive following. Um, if any of you in um, Australia, Ireland, France, Spain, Sweden, or any of our top territories are Grateful Dead fans or Dead Heads, as I think um, the fan base is known, please, um, please don't come at us for our lack of knowledge about the dead. But this song, Ripple, I think very much... <laughs> 
a country song, um, and I'll play mm. that. song by um, The Dead and uh, covered by the likes of Jane's Addiction and, um, and others Nora Jones but it's, uh, it's got that simplicity that I like about country music um, kind of yeah. deliberate, deliberate playing interesting fact about it quite similar to the Any Dream Will Do song of Joseph and His Amazing Technical Dreamcoat oh yeah that's true but that song actually preceded this by two years Tim Rice and Lloyd Webber wrote that before. So, this, do, you, so. do you think I possibly the dead are ripping them off a little <laughs> in a country style? No, it's lovely. It's very nice. I, I don't know anything about the Grateful Dead. I had no idea that they were even country or could be country. Um, so much music in the world, Charles. It's very hard to keep up. That, <laughs> good to, to, uh, to hear that. Yeah. So why don't we move on to um, a lady singer? because that's actually quite a big feature of country music. A, yeah. lot, of them, a lot of the major artists, and this is across all eras, actually, um, are women. Is it my choice? It is. Or yours? Yeah. No, women, I mean, interestingly, because women were, you know, in my deep ignorance of country, which I'll mention every time I speak, uh, women were probably like, I don't know, 80% of my shortlist. Um, 
and I think that's just because I, I was a bit more aware of some female country artists, but also like, yeah, it sort of makes sense, right? Because if it's all about like being, frankly, being put upon and treated like shit and yearning for a better life, a higher proportion of women have experienced that for more of the period of history we're talking about. Mm. Um, so it seems, you know, uh, unsurprising on that level. But this song is interesting because it's, uh, you know, just politically, Loretta Lynn, Loretta Lynn uh, obviously a, a huge country artist about whom I know next to nothing, but I'm after this, going to find out a lot more about many of these people. But we make a rule from now on that we don't we'll apologize stop, for not stop apologizing. Yeah, in fact, we, we know a lot about country. I think so. I think confidently about it's, it. Now. It's also just a general trope of our podcast. I think that we profess ignorance and then talk about things like we really know what we're talking about when we're actually talking about them, which I think <laughs> Maybe everyone should do. Being English. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> but um, no, I really don't know about this, though. But yeah, anyway, clearly she she uh, was a bit of a feminist uh, trailblazer in country. Um, a lot, uh, you know, like Dolly Parton in, in a different way. Um, you don't see a lot of strength and power, perhaps, in the lyrics of a lot of earlier female country artists, from, from what I understand. But then you get people like Loretta Lynn coming along and just... Yeah, I mean, this this was a song of the time. So it's from 1975. It's about the liberation of women thanks to the contraceptive pill. Um, so let's listen to it and then talk about it. You and me and dine me when I was your girl. Promised if I'd be your wife, you'd show me the world. But all I've seen of this old world is a bed and a doctor bill. I'm tearing down your brooder house, cause now I've got the pill. All these years I've stayed at home while you had all your fun. And every year that's gone by, Another baby's come There's gonna be some changes made Right here on Nursery Hill You set this chicken your last time Cause now I've got the pill This old maternity dress I've got Is going in the garbage The clothes I'm wearing from now on Won't pick up so much yarn Hot paints and a few little fancy frills. Yeah, I'm making up for all those years since I've got the pill. I'm tired of all your crowing, how you and your hens play. While holding a couple in my arms, another's on the way. This chicken's done for up her nest And I'm ready to make a deal And you can't afford to turn it down Cause you know I've got the pill This incubator is overused Because you kept it filled The feeling good comes easy now Since I've got the pill It's getting dark it's roosting time, tonight's too good to be real Oh, but daddy, don't you worry none 
Cause mama's got the pill Oh daddy don't you worry none Cause mama's got the pill Do you know how old Loretta Lynn was when she first became a grandmother? No, tell me. 29. <laughs> Bloody hell. Hang yep. on, Apparently so. Her so. first child at like 13 or 14 or something. 14. Yeah. So I think when you so hear... That, yeah, that, really, <laughs> that song into stark perspective. Yeah, it does. It really does. And I think it's, you know, it's probably not her kind of greatest work artistically, but what's really, I mean, amazing is it's not that often where you get a song where you think this really changed massively, not necessarily the world, but life for thousands, potentially millions of people. Because apparently, um, I mean, the song was very controversial at the time. It's the 1970s, so it's not even like immediately the pill was kind of became widespread in the 60s, I think, certainly by late 60s. But then um, the label, she recorded it in 1972. They held it back for three years, probably, I don't know, to do with the controversy. And then lots of labels refused, to, uh, lots of radio stations refused to play it. But then apparently once it was played, um, it, you know, she, all these doctors and all these kind of rural physicians approached her and said that, like, her song had done more to kind of highlight awareness of the possibility of birth control than anything they tried to do in years, you know, to try and, you know, get people to use contraceptive and family planning so it really like yeah made a huge difference so like you think about what life is like for these women it's unimaginable so yeah no. so <laughs> that's what Lorette's talking about i guess <laughs> so after this podcast finishes i'm gonna explain to my wife that um homeschooling two children <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> come on four year gap is is a piece of cake yeah of course, anyway, you get the you effect, uh, network effects of them being able to look after one another when you, um, when exactly. you have enough. It's fine. I don't know what Loretta's complaining about there. Um, anyway, there you go. So that, that I thought I thought uh, a song that represented perhaps that side of country and, yeah, what, what was really at stake was, for women? It'd be nice, yeah. to, nice to get it over with by 29, uh, to, you know, grand, grand, being a grandmother as well. I mean, I had I didn't have children till after I was thirty, so you know, it'd be nice could, to have got out the way when you had a lot of energy. You could have a second, third youth um, in your thirties. Where yeah. <laughs> anyway, Loretta Lynn, a, a strong female voice amongst many in this in this genre, um, and you get a sense that there's there's a lot of um, strong voices telling men that well it, it's a common theme don't cheat don't come home drunk you know um, the last song on this on on this selection is in the exact same tradition so i'll leave that as a little breadcrumb um and before that i'll move on to my next choice which is from the cash family the uh -huh. obviously very um storied royalty of country music, but I'm not going to choose a song by Johnny Cash. I'm going to choose a song by Roseanne Cash, who is Johnny's uh, eldest daughter with Vivian Liberto Cash, um, his first wife. And this song's called Feathers Not a Bird. Um, I've listened to it about a hundred times, but I'm not entirely sure what it's about. Mm -hmm. 
the sea A stone is not a mountain But a river runs through I loved it. I absolutely loved it. So tell me more about Roseanne. Like she's got like a, yeah, just a great style, a great swagger. Yeah. So uh, obviously rich country heritage, but she's known as a, um, a kind of Americana artist. And this is, this is where definitions get a little bit weird because she is country, mm. but then she takes in folk, pop, rock, blues, and Americana, which is like not country, it's a different genre. But if you look at what Americana means, it's it's sort of um, also described as American roots music. Right. And that takes from its borrowings folk, country, blues, rhythm and blues, rock and roll and gospel. <laughs> so everything. Also what country music does. Um, and, and then it goes on to kind of say that it's um, it's it borrows mainly from acoustic American roots music styles, but you can also have it Americana played by a full electric band. So I have no idea what Americana <laughs> is, um, but anyway. I was going to ask you. Yeah. Um, is Americana, I suppose that's something that has, has been named as a genre more recently, perhaps? I don't know, because it's it's accumulation of, many of those things i don't know i don't know what americana is i didn't realize it was a sort of genre um but perhaps it's like all of the american stuff mutually yeah. influencing each other over time you know i mean uh, i think it's all the good things about the us are about it being a melting pot um yeah and including the music yeah yeah so that's what that's what i think of americana <laughs> yeah and that does really come through in that song um what's her story though like is she when was that recorded very like... recently 2014 so yeah i mean that's that's she's she was born in 55 so she's not um she's not a youngster and, and then she had quite a career like she's been doing this for a long time presumably now you're asking me too many questions <laughs> no um, yeah, the, it, the, sonically, it reminds me of the stuff T-Bone Burnett was doing on the soundtrack for True Detective, which is worth mm. listening to. 
lots of weird um kind of eerie backing vocals slide guitars that come in and out um and it's yeah it to me it, it's quite nice because it appeals to my kind of darker side if you know what i mean yeah and it reminds me yeah it reminds me of some of the music coming out of america i think in the 90s and maybe noughties i wasn't really listening to at the time mm. because i was listening to like rock music or whatever mm. but uh that that was kind of going on and and it was very distinctive it's very american you know you don't get quite that combination of sounds in british music so my next choice is an artist called chris stapleton and i've chosen this for two reasons one is chris stapleton is what i described earlier one of those country musicians who has a career himself but he's also written songs for a bunch of other artists he's also appeared as a composer and a session musician on on a lot of hits and you get the sense that he's just someone who goes to work like an office job on a daily basis in Nashville, pumps out yeah. hits. Um, and I quite like that because we often felt like um, the way we were doing music was not necessarily sustainable. Um, mm. and, yeah. and I like the way the, that some people approach doing it as just like it's a discipline. I go into the studio, yeah. I go into the rehearsal room and... Um, so I think Chris Stapleton's a bit like this. Jud just judging by the body of work, I have no uh, knowledge about him as a person. He could be a raging alcoholic with um, with no work ethic whatsoever. But <laughs> I, I think he's one of those kind of like quite disciplined, um, multi-talented in um, instrumentalists and musicians and composers. This song, though, Tennessee Whiskey, speaks to the point I made earlier around a really simple arrangement and and a desire not to play too much. Let the space in the song do the talking. Um, and then I guess on the third point, it's it, it's it borrowing from country music tropes this time around, like being down in the dumps and drinking. Too.
thing but it's got that very lazy pure sound i love the drum sound amazing yeah that just that kind of smash on the snare yeah do you remember a song called black velvet by someone called alana miles yeah it kind of reminds <laughs> me of that kind of you know molasses yeah, <laughs> treacle whiskey advert music to it um which which is this steers just clear of that but yeah no, 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 it does. but um yeah no like it's an uh, for gooey puddings yeah <laughs> this like something kind of like dripping down off a spoon in a voluptuous <laughs> manner um <laughs> yeah that's cool like that's this is modern country of a very particular kind um it's, uh, it takes quite a lot of discipline to play that slowly. And yeah, fuck lightly. it. Like you say, like the, the, the space that's allowed there. And it's interesting because it just goes to show how diverse country actually is because that's the opposite of like some of that bluegrassy stuff, right? Where it's all like, or you know, all that kind of dang, 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 and really like busy licks and uh, yeah. Should we take it to your next choice? Yeah, which I guess is my last choice, right? It is. And this is... Um, so, yeah, I think each time we do a podcast, when doing the kind of prep and listening, I find there's normally one song that really, like, gets in my head and, like, I get a bit obsessed with. Um, and in this case, it was this one. Uh and I mean, partly just because I just sort of discovered this artist. So she recently released an album, 2020, and I had no idea. I'd heard of Lucinda Williams um, for years, but I didn't know how long she'd been around. I didn't know anything about her. I didn't really know what kind of artist she was. I just heard that she was kind of quite acclaimed. And then I just checked out her new album, which I heard some people talking about literally out this year. So it's quite interesting because it was released in lockdown. It's, you know, very much... The uh, shadow of Donald Trump is all over it. And um, I was like, wow, she doesn't sound like how I thought she'd sound. I think it's partly because her name's Lucinda, which conjures a particular image in my mind due to a certain Lucinda that we know. Very different kind of a voice, should we say. Yeah, I didn't realise that she was you know, now in her 60s and had had this career going back to basically the 70s. So I've been checking out her music a bit. And this song, I heard a live performance of this song, just a video of her singing it, and I was quite struck by it but then I realized that she re-recorded this whole album as well just three years ago so this is a song called Sweet Old World which is a dead simple just beautiful melody mm. um 
And then, you know, there's a 1992 album of the name where she released the song and it's got that kind of 90s production sound. And then she's re-recorded this recent version, which is just, I don't know. I, I, it's one, we've talked about aging artists that are around for a long time and their voice aging and kind of how beautiful it is really to sort of see that and hear that. That is absolutely the thing with Lucinda Williams. She sounds like a different woman, but her voice almost gets better and better in a way. So I so thought we could play the beginning. The, yeah. The most recent version first. No, no, play the old one first. Play maybe play a minute of the nineteen ninety two one, because the one I really like is the recent one. So I thought we could play all of that. See what you lost when you left this world This sweet old world What you lost when you left this world This sweet old world The breath from your own lips The touch of fingertips A sweet So anyway, I think that's all we needed that one because I just wanted, you get the idea. It's like, it's a nice melody. She's got a nice voice. But then when I heard the recent one, I was like, wow. Um, Let's play that.
I think, I don't know, it's, it's a lovely, simple song and simple melody. But there's something also that really, I don't know, quite touches me about someone just revisiting something like that from long in their past and, I don't know, making it better as well. Yeah, well, I mean, it's quite a sentimental, sorry, not sentimental in the bad sense of the word, it's sentimental in the kind of honest and true sense of the word. Yeah. It's, it's about somebody who she's lost to a suicide, isn't it? I, do you know, I didn't even know that. I mean, I only discovered this this woman's music in the last few weeks, so I haven't actually looked it up. And Yeah, I don't know the story behind it. Tell me. But then, um, well, I, I think it's as simple as that. Yeah. Um, but, um, gosh, anyway. the arresting nature of the, the two voices next to each other. I mean, yeah. she's She's definitely leaning into her old uh, old age voice. Uh, oh yeah. Possibly, I imagine there's a few cigarettes involved uh, between those <laughs> in 2020, but um, it I is an improvement, isn't it? Great. It's amazing, yeah. But yeah, check out the album. So that's from three years ago. So she, I think she did one of those 25 year. I'm going to play my album from '92 in full live, which she did. And then through doing that, she was like, "Actually, I'm just going to re-record the whole album because I want to do it differently." Um, Kate Bush, I might have mentioned this in the past, Kate Bush also had this album called Director's Cut in, uh, I don't know, sometime in the last decade where she re-recorded songs where she was just like, oh, I don't like that 80s production or the lyric I want to change. And many of them are improved, you know? And it's like this idea that, it, that that's allowed because there's always the sense the original is best, you know, particularly if it's a good song to start with. And may, maybe it's not, and, you know, it's nice that people feel that... <laughs> bold to bold enough to do that and yeah so so i discovered he's into williams and and that's been a great thing um i'm feeling now like i don't have something that can follow that because that was lovely yeah yeah do but come on i mean it's a down <laughs> note to it we don't want to end on a suicide song no okay well let's let's take us to the brothers osborne who i think are actually canadian but these guys are what you would describe as a kind of modern country band the closest to what what you would get if you if you put us next to country music and try to you know take some of their sensibilities again storytelling in the songwriting um, this is a kind of nostalgic um, looking back at a, at a at a long lost love type song but with some of the the borrowings of rock and pop um, so cool. it's a a recent song by two brothers called the Brothers Osborne and it's called 21 Summer.
I particularly like is the guitars that come in in the chorus that kind of almost answer to the main vocal. Um, I can imagine you playing a nice little couple of licks like that. <laughs> if only, yeah. Yeah, I really like it. It's um, Again, it, it makes me sort of nostalgic for an America of my youth. I think it, I went to America in 1992, you know, and I was like 14 and I just feel like there was a lot of music that sounded like this that I just was suddenly aware of on the radio and around. And I don't know when this was recorded, but there's a um, distinct sense of the American musical heritage coming through. Yeah, I mean, this is again recent, 2013, 14. Yeah. And there's something as well about country, you know, it's almost like, it's a nice little lick. Um, it's almost like the opposite of when we're listening to Bowie or something, you know, these kind of um, visionary avant-garde. I mean, obviously they were massively, um, incredibly genius, inventive artists in the country scene, but what they don't tend to do a lot of is mess with song structure, uh, and it's like you say, it's, it's, it's like, this is an art. This is something that you're going to do your whole life. You could write a song every day. You're not going to run out. It's not about burning out. It's not about making a massive impression in a short time. It's about, it's about, it's a job. It's a life. It's about like, you know, and it reaches a mass audience and there's zillions of people doing it. And I think that's amazing. You know, as some, as some, as people who wanted to be musicians in a band professionally, that, you know, that's what these people are. And there's no like shame in it. It's not like some, I don't know. Uh, yeah, there's no like burn out, die young. It's like you do this for life. I was listening to an interview with Lucinda Williams and she was talking about how when she got married and had kids and maybe she had, did that fairly late in life. I don't know. And people said to her like, are you still going to be able to write? Loretta Lynn. Loretta Lynn, quite possibly. Uh, but anyway, um, I have no idea when she got married in her life, actually. But she was making this point that people suddenly said to her, uh, you're still going to write songs now because you're like all settled and chilled. You know, that idea, you've got your big house in the country, you're fine. You've got nothing to say anymore as an artist. And I think for country musicians, it's like, no, there's always stuff to say. There's, I'm always going to write songs. What are you talking about? And I like that. <laughs> um, so we discussed this and we thought it might be churlish to play one of our own songs at the end. Uh, we don't. We didn't write country music, and no. any song we would have chosen would have probably been just too tangential and not within the spirit of this set of songs. Equally, <laughs> we debated However. long and hard. No, no, no. We, we're not going. <laughs> we debated long and hard about whether this could span two, maybe three episodes, and we decided to try and do it in one. I'm not sure if we succeeded. Um, we kind of hopped all over the place. I think this is a voyage of discovery for us. We may do more. Who knows? We may do more. And I think the fact that we've not played Johnny Cash, we've not played Dolly Parton, we've not played, you know... Uh, Willie really, Nelson. Yeah, Hank Williams, Mel Haggard, a bit of Loretta Lynn we haven't played. There's all kinds of people we haven't played. Yeah. Um, so we could be back with more, guys. I know you're desperate for our deep knowledge of country music. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> On that point, you will remember from the Britpop episode that um, when we played Holloway, we were slightly embarrassed. But then we we realised that it was actually the quintessential Britpop song. Um, yes, so maybe we find the quintessential country song in our... Well, in the same spirit, I'm going to play a song that is very <laughs> yeah. recent. 
<laughs> no, not by us. Not by us. Okay, um, good. I can't buy a massive country artist, but it's it's. I mean, it's humorous, and it right. it involves every country trope, right down to the kind of um, the images in the song, but also the the kind of the drawl of the accent, um, and it's pure, unadulterated country pop, uh, and it's by Carrie Underwood. Ah. Do you know what a Louisville slugger is? Nope. It's a type of baseball bat. It's one of my favorite lines in this. It's called okay. Before He Cheats. Slow dancing with a bleach blonde tramp And she's probably getting thirsty Right now He's probably buying her some fruity little drink Cause she can't shoot whiskey Right now He's probably up behind her with a blue stick Showing her how to shoot a combo And he don't know Got the strong women. Yeah. The storytelling. Speaking of, yeah. This reminds me, by the way, I, I don't know why, I think just the, the general sound of it as a modern country and a strong woman. Uh, a film called Wild Rose for you country lovers out there, mm. uh, including yourself, Charles. There's a really good film called Wild Rose, and it's about a woman from Glasgow who lives, you know, growing up in a council estate in Glasgow who dreams of being a country singer. And she's got an amazing voice. And, uh, she uh, she has this dream of making it to Nashville and she kind of eventually does. It doesn't really work out, but it's a great film. And it's also a great film because it's got loads of country songs in, classic ones, covered by the, the actor who's, what's her name? Um, anyway, she's incredible. She's a brilliant actor and she's got a great voice. Uh, Jessie Buckley. Uh, so I recommend that. And a, a few times this week, walking around like host industrial Sheffield, listening to country, I felt a little bit like I could relate. <laughs> <laughs> Should we have the last chorus? Yeah, sorry. It won't be on me. No, not on me. A manufactured star, a, a star of American Idol, or you know, their version of the X Factor. Um, but you can tell the playing behind that are some proper Nashville 
country session musicians. Oh yeah, and she's doing a good job and great little backing vocals as well. It's a na 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 na. Um, um, I'm sure it's a sacrilegious choice when we've only got ten choices to put. <laughs> in. There's um, probably been a few of those in here, but um, well, like you say, it's only the beginning. It's only the beginning of our country odyssey. On your point around Wild Rose, there was also quite a cool TV show called Nashville, which was attempting to be a bit like Dallas, which was the big '80s hit TV series, um, and T Bone Burnett did the soundtrack to it, and the the cast actually record some really nice songs on that um so that's also worth checking out cool i will do there we are giving each other a country tip okay then well listeners of the world i hope you uh, enjoyed the episode stay with us thank you for doing so absolutely um, if there are any particular country hits or you know splinter movements in bolivia or a man or northern Germany, you know, we'd love to hear about them. Indeed. Until next time, adieu. Adieu.